0: We'll be reading verses 10 through 12 of of 2 Peter chapter 2, and then jumping over to Jude and reading verses 4 through 10. So hear the reading of God's word this morning again as we honor him. It says in verse 10 of 2 Peter 2, it says and especially talking about what God does and His faithfulness and how He will judge the unrighteous, the false teachers, the ungodly, and how He will keep the righteous ones, how He will uphold them with His righteous right hand. And it says in verse 10, especially dealing with punishment, those who indulge in the lust and the defiling passions and despise authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, uh, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord, but these, like irritation, uh, irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant Will also be destroyed in their destruction. Jude, as we go over in Jude chapter 1, or no chapter, verse 4, it says, For certain people have crept in unannounced who long ago were designated for the condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny their only master, the Lord. Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus Christ, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own passions of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept an eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulge in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people, these false teachers, these ones who have crept in, like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputed about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively, destroyed themselves. And verse 11 Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and uh, perished in Korah's rebellion. They they were perished. This is an amazing, as we go through, as we look at the character sketch of false teachers, these two sections, by the way, if you read chapter 2 and Jude, you'll notice Uh, the contexts are almost identical. The illustrations are almost identical. The thoughts are identical. The reminding and the warning about false teachers are identical. you think that they were taught by the same person, the Holy Spirit. The character sketch of false teachers, as we look at this, last week, I hope you remember... We talked about God's faithfulness. As Peter embarks and as he gets through chapter 2, the first thing he reminds us about these false teachers is that God is faithful. When God saved you, he's faithful to redeem you at the day of Christ. When Christ returns and he brings us home, God is faithful. He will keep us righteous for that day. He will hold us in his hand. He will also, God is faithful to judge and to punish those who are speaking falsely in his name. God is faithful. Don't underestimate the fact that that is what he says before he goes to these false teachers. Because in our context, there's some very important things that we need to remember. If you remember 1 Peter, which we got done this last year, 1 Peter and chapter 1 of Second Peter he brings out these things that we need to remember we must make it our purpose to become more established rooted and, and found building on the foundation of the word of God in the beginning was the word and the word was with God right verse 14 then the word became flesh and we sang that song our one foundation is built upon Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is, we need to be established and rooted in the Word of God so that we are able to stand firm. In the context, it's talking about, they use this Greek term to define a Roman soldier who had the ability to defend five feet of ground that nobody could penetrate. It was these same soldiers that would get together and they would form the turtle, the first known tank, right? Right? They could move through thousands of enemies in this little turtle. They could stand firm to the point where the enemy could not push them back. The idea here is is that in 1 Peter and in 2 Peter chapter 1, that it's the word of God, the word of truth, that helps us to stand firm so that way we do not fall over, that we do not succumb to false teachers, we do not lose that one joy, that peace that God has given us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And brings us to a second important point as we study false teachers, and that is, God wants His people to be able to spot spiritual frauds by being careful to analyze their teaching, their attitudes, and their lifestyle. Their life and how they live really determines what their heart is following, what has established their foundation. When we look at all that they do, somebody says, well, this person teaches well. I go and I look at how do they live because how do they live and the fruit of their life really determines many times what has gripped their heart. What have they built the foundation of their life on? Do we do that when we hear good things? Do we do that? And I bring that up because in this passage that we read in Second Peter, he's graphically describing the attributes of fraudulent false teachers. They're fraudulent. They're, they say that they're spiritual. But he gives us a lot to look at in these verses. He wants us to be on the lookout. He's warning us, he's reminding us so that way we don't fall prey so we can stand firm on the written word of God. We need to be on the lookout for many religious organizations and churches in which these things are taking place right now in which we just read. But also, we need to make sure that these things are not in our lives. Are these things that we read, and that we'll go over in a minute, in our lives? And here's the rub, or here's the question. Are these things defining our lives in which that are fraudulent? That God is described as fraudulent and not being founded on Christ and God's Word, Are we allowing fraudulent things to determine our life? A lot of people say they're spiritual, don't they? But what determines whether they're really spiritual? What determines what lasts for eternity? Are they spiritual in the moment? Are they spiritual in an activity? But as soon as that moment is gone, what is left? Is their life alive and full of peace and rest? Or is their life full of life and death and destruction? The Bible tells us there's a way that seems right unto man. But in the end, it leads to destruction. Later on, two verses, or two chapters later in Proverbs 14, he says there's a way that seems right unto man, but it leads to death. It's that same death that in Genesis, when God says, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And it actually, in the verbiage, it's meaning that you will begin to decay at that point. It's not just a physical death, it's a spiritual death. So here's the rub. Are, they, are we following fraudulent people that are living in a state of decay? Or are we following a holy word a holy God who lasts for eternity. That's really what that's really what, what do we want to follow, right? It's like shopping. Some of us like to shop. Are we looking for the best deal that brings immediate gratification? Or are we looking for something a little substantial that will remain for a long time? Do we want a quick fix that'll just be broken in the next few days or do we want something that lasts? I've learned that a few times. I was building fences for pigs. I'm like, oh, I I fixed my pig fence and guess what they did a couple days later? I found them in another pen (laughs) or I found them roaming in our other field. I was like, oh, I need to go actually put posts in and two-by-sixes, and I need to put some wire up so they can't chew through the boards, right? I found out if you leave them there long enough, they'll chew through two-by-sixes in days, right? So you need something a little more substantial. Are we building on that which is true in our life? The fruit of their lifestyle. Look at verse 10. Look at what Jesus is saying the fruit of their lifestyle. He's saying what God is telling us here is that, number one, spiritual frauds continually indulge in their flesh. It's all about what they feel. It's all about what their desire is. They indulge in it. They make it the point. These false teachers, these spiritual frauds, they focus on the flesh and fulfilling their corrupt desires this is a deep and dirty bog. You know what a bog is? You know, it's that, you know, the peat moss that grows around here and you go walking through and all of a sudden you sink. Many times when you sink in those deep and dirty bogs, you don't get your shoe back, right? Hopefully you're wearing something pretty substantial, tied tight on your foot. I have lost a few shoes and bogs in my life. This indulgence in the flesh is a deep, dirty bog that's filled with dirty, religious, false, spiritual, lustful leaders and desires. The driving force of their spiritual lives is the fulfillment, literally, of their flesh. They continually pursue this objective. Now, here's the truth of what it's saying. The truth is we all have a... And that flesh does not, does have corrupt desires. But notice that the spiritual fraud, what he does, he continually goes after to fulfill it. It says, especially those, in verse 10, who indulge in the lust of defiling passions. They indulge, continually indulge. The word there, in the verb in indulging, is the present tense, which is in the middle voice, which means this, literally, it means that those people continually, in and of themselves, go after the fulfillment of their flesh. This is their habitual pattern of their life. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 through 27, tells us of these exact people. This is a God lets them go after it. He says, therefore, God gave them up in their lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they wor- and worshipped and served the cre- creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. It's amazing, but these false teachers, what what emphasizes their lifestyle, their fruit, is that they indulge the flesh and they focus more on the creation and the creature in creation than they actually do the creator. They don't focus on Christ. These are the type of people that they indulge their flesh to the point where they end up focusing on the creation or they focus on Other things around them and creatures and things. They will worship that while indulging their flesh. It's all about desire. What do you desire the most? If you notice their lifestyle, they're very fraudulent. They say that they're spiritual, but they don't match and worship the Creator, Christ Jesus our Lord. They don't worship God. Ephesians 4, 9 says that they've become callous and they've given themselves over to lasciviousness or they indulge the flesh, literally is what it says, for the pursuit of all uncleanness in greed. The Jude 4 passage in verses 4 through 8, they indulge the flesh. That is one of the spiritual patterns of their life. The second one is this, that... The spiritual frauds continually despise authority. You'll notice that the, these false teachers, if you ask yourself, have I let them crep into my life? Am I following any of these type of false teachers? By the way, false teachers don't have to be another pastor at another church. It doesn't have to be some other person who's leading a religious organization. It doesn't have to be some so-called kind of Christian music. A false Spiritual or fraud can be many different things. It can be different philosophies and patterns in life. It can be other religions. It can be other forms of goodness that replace our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They will always despise authority. I can usually spot a spiritual fraud because they immediately fight against any authority in their life. They despise it. The, the, the verb there, despise, in verse 10, look, it says, and they despise authority. Behold, bold and willful do they do not even tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. They despise authority. The verb there literally means that they continually despise and think of any way, they think little of anyone who are in a position of authority. They think very little. We see that in, the, in our state of politics today, don't we? I see that in the way that even Christians treat people in politics today. They think, did you understand what despise means? It's to think very little of. There's not very much room for how we treat Authority. The idea here is that they don't want to submit to anyone. They don't want any power to be over them except their own desire. 1 Peter chapter 2. We studied this last year in verse 13 through 17. It says, verse 13 says, Be subject or submit to, literally, for the Lord's sake. Did you see that? Why are we supposed to submit to authority? for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. There's no, like this is a good thing. This actually says it is God's very will. There's no debate here. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. By the way, it's talking about putting, you will put those who are foolish, you'll put them in their place by doing what is right and honoring those who we honor, should honor. Live as people who are free, in verse 16, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as a servant to God do we do that? Religious phonies or spiritual frauds are proud, arrogant, self-willed. They are about submitting only to themselves. They never want to submit to God's Word. They don't want to follow God's Word. They don't want to read God's Word. They don't want any authority in their life except their own. They have no intention of ever bowing in reverence before a sovereign God. I've talked with people who I know are spiritual frauds, and I talk to them, and, I, and I'll quote a verse, and they said, oh, that's in the Bible, but we don't necessarily have to follow that. And I'm talking about a pastor in a church of an evangelical church. It's fun, by the way. I, I don't know if you enjoy this, but I do. I, when I meet people in other churches that I know that don't follow God, I like to ask them questions just to see how they respond. I ask questions about all sorts of things. Not so, that way I, not so that way it's about me, but I want to know what they really believe. Many times I find that they don't really believe what they say. Many times they don't really believe what God says. And that leads us to this, and that spiritual frauds have an arrogant disrespect for heavenly authority Or for any authority for that matter. Did you see that at the end of verse 10? Behold, and willful, they tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. What is the glorious ones? Well, in the context, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blaspheme judgments against them before the Lord. The angels don't even blaspheme themselves. They don't even blaspheme other men. But yet... False spiritual frauds, false teachers, they blaspheme angels. There's a common practice today to to blaspheme Satan, to pronounce judgment on Satan. We need to go out and pronounce judgment on Satan and bind Satan. By the way, how well did that go for the, the Jews in Acts when they went and tried to bind the demons, right? What happened? They got beat up. They said, yeah, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? Spiritual frauds make it a habit of blaspheming things that they truly don't understand. A pastor, Peter David, called this an arrogant disrespect. He said, these phonies, religious frauds will speak lightly and profanely against sacred things That are God's. They are not afraid to behold boldly and arrogantly speak against and despise any form of God's authority. Not just God's written words, but his creation, his angels, and even against Satan himself. By the way, in Jude verse 9, did you notice that the archangel Michael, while in dispute with Satan, fighting over Moses' body... He, who did he not blaspheme? Satan. Guys, let me... Uh, there is a common practice today to do this. And amongst people who say that they follow the Lord, it is not for us to judge and blaspheme or to rebuke and to revel against These arrogant leaders dare to open their mouths and say anything about any authority. Rebuking and reveling against the devil is what false teachers do. They presume to have the authority to revel and to rebuke angelic majesties. But if you look, you'll understand that is reserved for Christ and our Lord What I'm about to say will probably rub rub a few of you wrong. It may not go over too well. But I say this not just to you, but to me. You and I need to be very careful about saying negative things or demeaning things about any authority that God appoints. That includes your boss, your teachers, your coaches, politicians in this political climate? I know that might hit hard. Exodus chapter 22, verse 28, God gives us a pattern of how we should live. And he says this, you shall not revel, not revel against God nor curse a ruler of your people. By the way, First Samuel chapter 24 gives us a great illustration of exactly this, of not rebuking and reveling against one of God's own authority. David in the cave of Adullam, he's in the cave. And, of course, you know that David has been anointed by God to be the next king of Israel. But Saul is the current king. Is Saul following God? Is Saul a good man? Is Saul a righteous man? Then we should kick him out of office. But God's own anointed in 1 Samuel chapter 24 was in the cave and his his men said, look, there he is. He's getting ready to go to the bathroom. Kill him. Saul was in the cave to go to the bathroom and David was hiding in that cave. By the way, those caves are long. They're huge. I've been in some of them. And they go back a long ways and they're easy to hide in. They're black as black can be. There's no light. David was in there. He was hiding. His men said, kill him. Look what David said. He told his men, this is God's anointed. You should read the story. Why should I lift my hand against God's anointed? But, in, but he said, you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to cut. When he goes to sleep, I'm going to cut a por- portion of his robe, and then he's going to show it to him that he did not do anything against him. But look, at, even after David cuts the robe, look at David's words in verse 5 and 6. And afterwards, David's heart struck him. He was convicted because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe and he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do anything to my small l, Lord, my king, the Lord's big, all capital, Yahweh, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lords, or the God of of all, anointed. How about Paul? Did you know Paul misspoke against the the high priest of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? He was brought before in in, in Acts chapter twenty three, verse five. He said in verse four, those who. <laughs> uh, He was sitting there and he was proclaiming the message of God. And the high priest said, somebody smack him. And he says, and he said something smart back to the guy that said, somebody smack him in the mouth. He didn't know who said it. And those who stood by, verse 4 of Acts 23, those who stood by said, would you revel against God's high priest? You just spoke unkindly to God's high priest verse 5, and Paul said, I do not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it's written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of God's people. And he quotes Exodus. And he basically apologizes right there on the spot. And the high priest isn't even right. He isn't even talking God's, the right theology. He's actually speaking against God's word. But yet still, Paul realized that he misspoke and he apologizes. There's a dangerous and evil trend to think that just because somebody is wrong, we can speak out against them. It's infiltrating the churches. All you have to do is look at Facebook to see the arrogant uh, speak against leaders on a daily basis. My favorite message I ever preached, still to this day, is when President Obama took office. And I got to go teach a chapel to a bunch of 100 Christians, uh, school kids, and their teachers. And the te- all I heard all morning was how horrible life was going to be because their president that they wanted wasn't put into office. And I preached out of Romans chapter 13 and it was my favorite message, it was everybody just calmed down and just realized, do not speak ill of who God puts into office. And that's the thing, do we honor God or are we trying to honor a person? Are we so fixated on people? And that's what spiritual frauds do, they disrespect all authority, even angels, even Satan. Satan. And they get us so focused on that, that we're so disrespecting men that we don't realize that we're not honoring our Heavenly Father. We're so fixated on people and not God. And that's what spiritual frauds do. They get your attention away from God. They get your attention away from our true foundation. False leaders, spiritual leaders are irrational. They're irrational and arrogant. Did you see the way that Peter described them? But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to cut and be destroyed, they're just acting animalistically out of instinct. The Greek word here is very interesting. The word unreasoning means that these spiritual Frauds are not only without reason, but they're irrational. They don't make any sense. Isn't that amazing? I've watched some of the, I've rewatched and watched some of the political things going on in our climate, and I just smile because it doesn't fit logic in any way. I've seen some of the smartest people go through that. You know that easy? It's called I. It's called practical math. You know, some high schools, te- I don't even know if they teach it anymore, but I had to go through it in college when I, we got, uh, the college got recertified uh, and we had to add some new math classes and stuff. And I remember when we went through it and some of the most brilliant guys in our school, we go through this pack, practical class and it was built on logic and they couldn't pass the class. And I was like shocked. I was like, they're brilliant, but yet... They couldn't follow logical reasoning. This is, by the way, this is the MO of spiritual frauds. They're irrational and they're ignorant. The idea here is that they basically, they live by instinct alone. And that should tell us something. Our fleshly desires are instinctual like animals. Are animalistic. Frauds, spiritual frauds get you to focus on what is just instinct. It's not rational, it's not logical, and it's not built upon God's truth. In fact, it's so much so that they live by their instinct to the point that they don't know how to follow that which is true. They can't. It doesn't make any sense to them. Because here's the thing, they're following the instinct of their flesh and they're not following the Holy Spirit. And which is so funny, this is so amazing because so these churches glorify the Holy Spirit. We're following the Holy Spirit. They proclaim over and over and over again. But they're living more, their life looks more animalistic. They're following the instincts of their lives and they're born to be caught and destroyed. Blaspheming about manners which they are ignorant, they will also be destroyed in their destruction. False spiritual frauds, false teachers that are spiritual frauds really act like beasts. They're caught up in their instincts, they're driven by natural instinct, evil desires. They do not have God's spirit leading them. They are false. That's how come we see many church leaders today supporting abortion. That's why we see many church leaders today following things that just don't make any sense because they're not following the Holy Spirit. Don't be duped into just following animal instinct. By the way, that's how these false, these fraudulent spiritual leaders get people so excited. They prey on your animal instinct. So, in conclusion, how do we make sure that these things do not dominate our thoughts? How do we make sure that these are not the things influencing our daily lives that are not dominating how we think and how we act? By the way, don't get so excited about what you see or what you hear coming from these fraudulent spiritual leaders. They're frauds. They don't follow God's word. Just look at their lifestyle. So many of them are Dying. I mean, I even know guys that were once pastors proclaiming God's word that are in jail today that said, do whatever feels good to you. If it feels good to you, then it's from the Lord and you can do it. They prey on animal instinct. Look at what God says in 1 John 2. Just a few pages over in your Your Bible says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Look at these these fraudulent spiritual leaders. What do they love the most? They love the things of the world. They're driven by it. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, all of those instincts, all of those desires, the desires of the eyes... What you see, the pride of life, what you feel, that you desire, you want, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. These spiritual fraudulent leaders, they're taking you down a corrupt path, following something that's going to be destroyed. But the will of God abides forever the things of the world do not last. What you see, what you feel, what you think that involves the world is not built on God's truth, but desire. Isaiah 46 through 8 says this, another aspect of how that we protect ourselves, is it of the world or is it of God? And, but Isaiah said, a voice cries, says cry and I say, what shall I cry? And God says, all flesh is grass. All its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. Verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the words of the Lord, our God, will stand forever forever. 1 Peter chapter 1, speaking from Isaiah. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and its glories. All the things we glory in in the world are like the flowers of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Our church's foundation is built on Christ, the solid rock in which we stand. I forget how the next part goes. It just went blank in my mind, but it's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Christ is it. Christ is the living and abiding Word. Everything you see, everything you feel will one day be gone What you felt as a teenager will not be what you feel as a young adult. What you feel as a young adult will not be what you feel as an adult. What you feel as a parent, as a married adult, will not be what you feel as a grandparent. What you feel as a grandparent will not be what you feel when you stand before the Lord our Savior. Everything you feel in your flesh dies just as our body dies, but the good news of our Savior who paid for our sins on the cross and who is now standing as our high priest interceding on our behalf forever holding our salvation in his hands so we can boldly approach God. What has cleansed you from your sin? What do you have to offer? nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ that's why it's the one foundation everything else is gone for the uh, galatians chapter 6 verse 8 through 10 what will you build your life on for the one who sows of his flesh from the from the flesh will reap corruption but the one who sows to the spirit the true spirit not the fraudulent spirit the fraudulent spirit is all about the flesh but the true spirit is all about Jesus Christ, our Lord. From the spirit will reap what? Who has given us eternal life? Who has paid for that? The foundation of our life is built on Jesus Christ. We sow of the spirit, it will always lead to Christ. We sow of the flesh, it will always reap to destruction. And let us not grow weary, right? Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not. Maybe some of you feel like, it's like, man, I've been trying to follow the Lord, I've been sowing of the Spirit, but I'm just, it's just hard. God doesn't do things easy. God takes care of the things that are hard. We make the hard We destroy our lives because we run away from the hard things. We give up so many times when the Spirit is willing to carry us through to the other side so that way we're stronger and more sturdy because we have just allowed the Spirit to build upon the foundation of Christ Jesus. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in the due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, every opportunity, let us do good, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. As we have opportunity, let us do if you sow of the Spirit, you'll be able to do that because you'll be built upon Jesus Christ. And the mind of Christ was this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He became our servant, right? And took upon the form of a servant. in the likeness of men became obedient unto the point of death, even the death on the cross. He looked, he looked to, to, to take care of our needs, Let us do that. Every opportunity, let us do good. How do we not follow these spiritual frauds? How do we recognize if we're giving into them? Is it of the world or is it of the Lord? Is it just things that we desire and see or is it built upon the word of God that lasts forever? Is it, are we focusing on the flesh or are we focusing on the spirit which leads to Jesus Christ? Isn't it amazing how just about everything in the Bible leads to our one foundation? Don't underestimate the gospel. If you underestimate the gospel, you will turn to your flesh and you will be without rest. You will be without peace. Peace. Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, right? Spiritual leaders, unreasonable, irrational. Let your reasonableness be known to all men, for the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about everything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpass, By the way, peace of God, it comes from God. Which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. Finally, brothers, think about these sayings. What is true? What is right? What is of a good reason? I don't remember all of them in order, sorry. <laughs> but look at verse 9. He says in verse 9, now all these things that you've heard and seen in me. So Paul is saying everything. You've heard the word of God from me. You've seen me live out the word of God. Practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. If you're struggling right now, would you turn to the God of peace? Focus on what is right and true. Don't focus on what is fraudulent. Our flesh and desires are frauds. And many times we listen to fraudulent teachers that prey on our flesh. God does not prey on our flesh. He gives us mercy and grace. Everything that we cannot do for ourselves, he does. Would you turn to him?